The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Speaking of Lent, um, I'm so delighted that Steve Bell is here today to uh, join us for uh, an introduction to Lent. That's what we've asked him to do today. He's going to be leading us in worship and ministering to us in song and in the word. <clears throat> and um, before we, we uh, have him come, I just want to just give me a few minutes, Steve, to just uh, share a couple of stories. Um, I, w- I wanted to know, you to know context for those of you that are newer to our community, uh, White Ridge Baptist Church. So when I arrived in 2009, Pastor Alf Bell, Steve's dad, was the pastor, the interim pastor of our church family. This is when we were over on Skirfield. And uh, I was just so delighted. I had known Alf Bell from um, Acadia Divinity College. We'd studied under Charlie Taylor and so on. And um, I was so glad to, to know Alf and Marie and... Uh, they ended up staying on, of course, and so del- delighted that they were part of uh, this church family. As all of you know, Pastor Elf had the gift of benediction. For several years, he would end the service. Um, anyway, as we, we uh, continued on, we got to know Steve better because of Alpha and Marie. And, uh, but long before 2009 when I came, Pat and I, uh, uh, we've been listening to your music for over 30 years, Steve. And uh, what we love about your music is that it is... Uh, God-saturated, and it just takes us uh, a level above what we often hear as Christian music on radio and so on, and it, uh, it especially introduces us to this sobriety of the, the psalms and so on. And uh, so Pat and I have been uh, listening to Steve's music for so long, and I want to tell a little story. It happened in, I think, 2004, and uh, we were home from Bolivia on a home assignment that summer, and we'd gone to Kenora to see my parents. I think Pastor Elf might have been an interim pastor at Lakeside Baptist in Kenora at the time. And we were staying at Tim and, or we weren't staying there. We were visiting Tim and Deanna Treadway, who live on Longbow Lake. And they wanted us to, be, to introduce ourselves to a, a couple going to Bolivia. So, oh, it was great. So we went over to the Treadways. We're having coffee on the deck. And out walks Steve and Nancy Bell. And we were, I was delighted. Uh, and so Steve um, goes back inside and he comes out with four or five of his CDs. And he said, you know, you know, maybe you want one or two of these or whatever. I can't remember what he said. But I think he meant that he, we were to pick one or two. I took all five. <laughs> and I got to confess to you, Steve, I already had all five. <laughs> But, but we, uh, we handed them out to friends, of course, and we just wanted to continue to introduce people to your music. Um, and then I just wanted you to know another little story. About a year ago, um, I began reading uh, a book by Eugene Peterson called Reverse Thunder. It's probably my favorite book to date on the book of Revelation. And I was just reading the opening pages, and I thought of Steve. And I wanted to, it's an odd thing, I don't do this, you know, but I just wanted to give him this book. So I went down to uh, his studio and uh, had a little visit, saw, saw the place. And then he, he, he blessed me with giving me not just one, but seven books, the, the whole pilgrim year that uh, you can purchase out in the foyer if you want after the service. Basically, walking through the church calendar and, uh, and being able to uh, richly be blessed with how it is that the entire year can help remind us of 
gospel and of what Christ has done and what God is doing. And I've been reading the one on Lent, and I've been thoroughly blessed by it. I, I just commend that to you. Um, but before uh, I have Steve come, I just want to read to you why I gave this book to Steve. At the beginning of this book, uh, Eugene Peterson says that the Apostle John, especially as he shines through in the book of Revelation, as God uses him, he fulfills the convergence of three ministries, theologian, poet, and pastor. And then he says this, a theologian takes God seriously as subject and not as object and makes it a life's work to think and talk to God, of God, in order to develop knowledge and understanding of God in his own being and in his own work. A poet takes words seriously as images that connect the visible and the invisible and becomes custodian of their skillful and accurate usage. And a pastor takes actual persons seriously as children of God and faithfully listens to and speaks with them in the conviction that their life of faith in God is the centrality to which all else is peripheral. The three ministries do not always converge in a single person, but when they do, the results are impressive. And Steve, I feel as though God has converged those three gifts in you. And over the years, you have, over the test of time, uh, proven yourself to be not just a troubadour, but um, God-saturated servant, and we're so blessed to have you. And before I sit down, I'm just going to read an excerpt from Steve's book, one of the seven in that, that series, on Lent. Steve, you write in this book, um, when I was 12 years old, you said, uh, I asked my dad, a Baptist minister, how one should pick a life profession. Don't ask yourself what you want to be, he said. Better to ask yourself who you want to be. Find someone you respect for who they are, not what they do. Find out, if you can, what they did to become who they are and do that. From there on, I began to pay attention to people whose character I admired, whose lives and spirits were exemplary. Among other things, most of those who, people turned out to possess great ascetic discipline, as did most of the saints, living or deceased, whom I discovered and admired in the ensuing years. These men and women played a music with their lives that I wouldn't have known to listen for, but once I heard it, created a restless longing in me to join the ranks of the spiritual masters. Um, this is uh, what I want to commend to you, is that today God has brought to us one of his servants, anointed by his spirit, and he has been seasoned over decades of sitting among the greats and wanting to use the God-given gifts that he has to minister to the people of God and to this community and to the world around him. And I just want to pray for Steve and for us as we begin to worship together today. 
Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your incredible way of raising up all kinds of servants and um, gifting, gifting each one of your children with something miraculous and supernatural that impacts the world around us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, this morning that we have the opportunity to be led by Steve Bell in worship and in word. And we pray your blessing on this service. And uh, Father, we're just so grateful for our own community of faith, White Ridge Baptist Church, and for those that are joining us online today, and for those that have come through the storm to get here. We pray blessing. Oh, Father, would you warm up our hearts by your Holy Spirit and enable us to uh, exalt your Son. And uh, we'll give you all the praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Steve. We're sure glad that you're here. Yeah. Hey, I want to just mention, um, that's a great clap, and I want you to do that one more time. But let's save it till the very end of our morning together. Would you do that? Thanks. When Kevin comes up. Okay. Thank you. Humans. <laughs> it's so nice to sing for humans. I'm, I, I couldn't be more delighted. I've been singing to cameras for almost two years, and it's fine, and I'm glad we have them. They've, they've served us well, but this is um, infinitely better. Um, I was telling, I asked Terry how long I've got this morning. He sort of he gave me a kind of a rough outline of how much time, but he said, it's pretty loose. You can kind of, I thought, boy, that's, that's a pretty risky thing to say to an audience-starved musician. <laughs> so... I promise to have you out by 2.30 at the latest. And uh, also I just want to say, uh, just very, very quickly, um, I, I, last time I was on this stage was at my father's funeral. I didn't think this was going to get to me. But I have a deep affection for this community because you loved my dad. And my dad loved you. And I don't know you that well, but I know that. You loved my dad, and my dad loved you, and I loved my dad. And so... We have that in common. I just really appreciated uh, you throughout his life, and especially those last years were so significant for him. Difficult, but significant, and I'm, I'm just so grateful you, you, you welcomed him and absorbed um, who he was. So I'm going to... I've got the whole service, by the way. Um, so, uh, this, so this is not going to be your normal service, but um, I, I, I ask you to define normal. Um, it, it's all different now. So, and I'm not a preacher, preacher. I'm going to sing and I'm going to talk. And I'm not going to give you a Bible lesson. I'm going to try to convince you about the beauty of the tradition of the church calendar year. I was brought up Baptist. We had a very truncated calendar year. We did, basically, we did Easter and Christmas, and we may do Ascension Sunday or Trinity Sunday. But I didn't even know that almost every day of the year the church has a celebration. And it leads us through a story, a cycle of stories that rehearse and reherald the gospel and the good news. And um, the older I've gotten, the more I've, I've started to love this tradition. And we're not mandated to follow it. It's like the, the, at no point does the Bible even say you need to celebrate Christmas. It does not say that. These are traditions of the church over centuries that said we think these things are worth telling. And telling over and over again, like you tell the same story to a kid night after night after night. And at the end, if it's a good story, they say, tell me again. Read it again, Daddy, right? So this is, I want to kind of try to sell you on it, because it's, it's been a great tradition for me, and um, I've got passion for it. Wrote a bo book series about it. Um, before I start, let me do one more advertisement, because I, I don't want to ruin the ending. Um, but I also have my new album out back there. So this is my book series. 
Uh, my latest album is called Wouldn't You Love to Know? I wrote a book that goes with it. Um, you can get the thing online, of course, but you can't get the book. And the book's got gold foil. It's shiny. You're going to want this. Okay. okay, that's it. Okay. Okay, we're going to do some singing together. Um, I'll start, and then I'll, I'll, I'll draw you in, okay? The Father gives away His word and His breath And all things are called into being this mystery of love and of life is a gift And it's glory beyond human reason And holy, holy, holy is The God of power and might In all of heaven and earth His glory lives Hosanna in the highest Hosanna in the highest context for this. This is from Isaiah, right? Isaiah 6. And we have this marvelous story of Isaiah sort of minding his business one day, and then all of a sudden he's whisked up to the heavenlies, and he's in the throne room of God, and God is seated on God's throne, and there's the robe, and there's there's uh, pillars, and there is smoke, and there are angels swirling around the throne of God, and everything's shaking and quaking as the angels are singing, Holy, 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 holy. The whole earth is full of God's glory, um, which is marvelous when you think that in heaven they sing about God's glory on earth. <laughs> they're, they're impressed with this place. 
um, which is, uh, I guess, the adage that uh, the, the grass is greener on the other side carries over. Um, it, it, and so that's very, very interesting because we're, we're all so enamored about heaven and what it would be. And in heaven, they're quite enamored with this, what God has done, right? And so when we sing, we're joining our voices with all the angels and all the saints. Now, before COVID, that was something we had to really work at imagining being somewhere that we can't see no more. <laughs> we now know what this is like. You know, that you can actually imagine what you, what's not there physically, that this is true. This is actually true now. We're not waiting for heaven. We're in Christ now, right? We're with all the angels, with all the saints, my dad, some of the people you can't see anymore. This is the truth and the glory of the body of Christ. It's way greater, much more magnificent. All of those saints, all those, this is the company we keep. We have good friends. Um, so when you sing this one, imagine. Imagine what you can't see, because it's true, okay? Holy. Holy, holy, holy Lord. Yes, stand. Holy, holy, holy. I can't, well, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the heart. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth of your glory are full. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Blessed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sing holy. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth of your glory are full. Hosanna, Hosanna. Santa in the highest. We're going to take this up a notch. Hold on. Do you guys uh, do action songs? Yeah? I understand the whole Baptist culture. We're not allowed to dance, but we can do, we can do action songs. And, uh, I'm not sure what the difference is, but apparently it's significant. But, you know, when we, when we, when we use our body, like we're, we are so used to our spirituality of prayers being up here in our mind. Right? But the church has taught us all kinds of things, like bow when praying. Does God need you to bow? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's bringing your body into your prayer, or closing your eyes, or raising your hands. We're physical creatures. Right? And this is all part of, uh, in, to, to incorporate all of our senses. In the Orthodox tradition, which I'm a big fan of, the Eastern Orthodox, they'd have smoke, they'd have icons, um, the, the whole idea is that you, you assault, you bring in all the senses, your vision, your hearing, your taste, you know, the bread and the wine, your, your olfactory, your smelling, touching, you know, they have icons and you're supposed to touch them, you're supposed to feel this story, that you use all of your body, all of your senses, bring them into worship. So this is part of that. So follow me. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power might. I just want to say something here. 
Power in the kingdom of God is very, very different than power in the kingdom of men. It looks very different. I'm not going to go into it, but take that one home and think about that. So God of power and might, heaven and earth of your glory are full. And so this is that wellspring of joy, like bursting out like a fountain. Then Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna highest. If you have a cell phone, this would be the time to... Bring out that, shine your light. Yeah, Hosanna in the highest. And then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just slowly drop your hands, right? So this is the one who comes, and we're going to talk about this, who descends to be with us so that we can be with him. So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you hold out long, and then back to holy, holy, holy Lord. And this goes on for a very long time, over and over. Okay, here we go. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth of your glory are full. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sing holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth of your glory are full. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Blessed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sing holy. Heaven. Heaven and earth of your glory are full. Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. All right. Amen. Have a seat. The other thing is there's a, a little bit of aerobic benefit to that as well. It's not bad. Okay, here's a... Repeat after me. Praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. And is and is to come. All praise and honor and glory and power. Oh, praise his name forever. Glory and power. Oh, praise his name forever. When the church gathers, we acknowledge who God is. And this, of course, is beyond the mind, right? Um, it's, it's meta. It's, it's, it's so beyond our knowledge. But there's some things, they're like, almost like metaphors that we're given to imagine. But the, one of the first things that we acknowledge about God is that God is a communion of being. 
that God is three, but God is one. Hard for us to wrap our brains around that, but not really, right? So God is one not like a tree is one, but like a forest is one, or like a, a husband and wife is one, or like a mother and child is one, right? That there's a unity of relationship at the heart of who God is, and here's the, here's the important piece of this. We've been made in the image of God. Our fullness and our wholeness and our, the completeness of our humanity is in our unity, right? And so when we acknowledge who God is, we start to get a grasp of who we are at our fullness, at our, at our, in our redeemed state. So it goes both ways. So let's sing it together. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one who was and is and is to come. All praise and honor and glory and power, oh, praise His name forever. Okay, listen, I'll sing this for you. Who is the one to whom you belong? Who in your weakness has made you strong? Who fills your heart with joyful song? Well, it is the Lord your God. So sing. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, who was and is and is to come. All praise and honor and glory and Before you died, was mocked and spat at and crucified. Who rose from the dead and is glorified? Well, it is the Lord your God. So sing, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, who was and is and is to come. and honor and glory and power oh praise his name forever okay, listen. and who is the one whom with you will be from highest mountain to darkest valley who is the one whom in you dwells well it is the Lord your God so sing praise the Father Praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, who was and is and is to come. All praise and honor and glory and power, oh, praise His name forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. That was uh, Gord Johnson, a local Winnipegger, who wrote that song. It's a beauty. I sing it a lot. Uh, in, in, the, um, uh, in the Orthodox tradition, um, they're constantly making the, the sign of the cross. And it's a fascinating way they do this. And I'm going to offer this to you as a prayer. It's a physical prayer again. Hold up your thumb. Say, God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. 
they are three, but they're one. Here's where it gets weird. And Jesus Christ is fully human and fully divine. And this is a mystery we seek to understand with all of our mind, all of our heart, and all of our strength. Amen. Is that beautiful? So you've got the, the, the three persons, the individuality, the particularity, and the unity. You've got the two natures of Christ, fully human, fully divine. And you can unpack the cosmos from this. <laughs> you can unpack all meaning. This is the DNA of meaning um, right here. And so we seek to understand this with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our strength. So let's do it again. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are three, but they're one. Jesus Christ fully human, fully divine. This is a mystery we seek to understand with all of our mind, all of our heart, and all of our strength. Amen. It's beautiful, eh? When I wake up in the morning, that's usually about the first thing I do when I'm coming to consciousness. I just kind of like trace my body with that. It's kind of a neat way of praying um, beyond, you know, just the limited capacity of my understanding, <laughs> which is remarkable. Um, but anyways, okay, one more. I'll sing, uh, we'll sing one more together, and then I'll kind of get on with what, the thing I wanted to talk to you about. This is a prayer, and I'm going to sing um, a series of litanies, a, a, a petitions. At the end of each one, I'm going to say, Lord, in your mercy, and you respond by singing, hear our prayer. So you'll hear this. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Okay. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Okay, and then each double verse at the end of that, I'm going to double up the Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And the second time you go up at the end, hear our prayer. And then after that, we go into this. It's optional. You don't have to. Like, it's just a... There's an invitation for you there uh, to sing that. Um, if you're charismatic, sing whatever you want. I don't want to, you know, um, that's your business. Um, so, so and, and, and the idea of this kind of a prayer, this comes out of the Anglican Catholic Orthodox traditions, is that, you know, someone stands up and reads out a series of petitions, and the people, if they agree with the petition, and please don't sing here our prayer if you don't agree with it, but it allows you to pray as well. So we pray this together, okay? So here we go. Lord, in your mercy, 
Now we pray for those close to us and those who have needs, for the friends that we love and for all our families. For these loved ones we pray, Jesus grant them your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear our For forgiveness of sins For the evil around That is born from within And we ask you, dear God That you heal us again Lord, in your mercy Hear our prayer Lord, in your mercy Hear our prayer for our time right now. I didn't know I had enemies two years ago. Enemies were in other lands, the Russians or whatever, the Turks or whatever. I mean, our enemies were in other lands, right? Or maybe some ideological enemies and stuff like this. Now they're our neighbors, aren't they? They're our families, and we have allowed things, we've allowed our politics and our opinions to be more important than our faith in Christ and our love for all that Christ loves, right? Every single human being on the planet ever, 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 bears the fundamental dignity of being chosen by God to live, loved and cherished. That is their first and foremost dignity. And for me to denigrate another human being is to denigrate God's good creation. We start there. We have opinions. I'd love to tell you mine, by the way. And if you listen to me, everything would be just fine. <laughs> but we're not doing that this morning, right? I, what I want to do, and part of Lent, and a significant part is repenting, <laughs> is thinking differently, of understanding that we have contributed to chaos, we've contributed to ill will, we've contributed to anger, to disunity. Uh, we have, with our mouths, denigrated God's creation. I have. I know I have. So I'm not pointing my fingers at you. But let's stop. <laughs> let's stop. And let's understand that you are precious in God's sight. And that's before I ask you about any of your opinions about things. That's just true. So, now in closing, we ask you, dear Father, on our knees. Lord, for mercy on all those we call our enemies. So that all might be one in your love and your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear 
it's, it's, um, if you listen to the ancients, they say one of the functions of the church is to gather and pray for the world. Not just to pray for us, but that in, there's a sense in, in, in it, that it, our prayers uphold <laughs> um, the world. And it's, so it's really important when we gather to sing praises to God, to remind ourselves of the truth of who we are, and to bear the world um, with our prayers. So this is really important to do this. Okay. How many of you uh, grew up um, observing Lent? A couple, okay. <laughs> I didn't. Um, again, we were Baptists, and Baptists are Christians. And, uh, <laughs> and it's the Catholics that observe Lent, and we know where they're going, right? So, um, so we don't do what they do. Um, and, and so we, we kind of grew up with this very negative view of Advent, Epiphany, Lent. We were quite comfortable with Christmas and Easter, not realizing that those belong to the same system cycle of, 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 of observances or remembrances, right? Um, and the thing is about these observances of the church calendar year, and there's seven major seasons, and they tell a story right? And it's a really good story that needs to be told over and over again. And you can never come back to the same story twice. You know why? Because you've had different experiences. And every time you've had a new experience, there's new meaning impregnated in your words. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. Experience. If I say to a child, fish, probably what comes up is a goldfish in a bowl or something like that. If I say to a marine biologist, fish, a whole different set. There's a much more mature, broader understanding, right? So as, as a human being grows and learns, the word gets more and more deeply penetrated with all that fishness means, right? And so you can never come back to the same word twice. And this is why we tell stories over and over again. And every time you hear a story, you hear something new, not because the story is new, because you have different experience. You have a, a, a bigger catcher's mitt for it. Right? And we can never denigrate somebody because they don't understand what we understand. You celebrate it. You know, and say, keep telling the story over and over. Daddy, read it again. Mommy, read it again. Right? This is what we do. So the church basically said, this is a profound story that needs to be told over and over again. And they divided the story into seven major themes. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, at the end of Lent, but it's part of Lent, but part of, but on its own, Holy Week, Easter, and then Ordinary Time. And this kind of goes over and over and cycles throughout the year. And so it's a really wonderful tradition. And so I want to talk to you about Lent, but we have to put Lent in context. Because you, if, you, if you take Lent out of the church calendar year, it's like taking Christmas out of the church calendar year. Another way to think about this is if I can string seven words together in a sentence... So let me think, um, the boy went to the grocery store, right? So you know what that means. But if I just said store, the word has lost its meaning. It's the context of the other words that give the sentence its, right? If I change the order, it can say a whole bunch of different things, right? So when we say Christmas and we don't say Advent, Lent, Epiphany, we're, taking, we're, we're, we're sort of dropping a single word and not telling the whole sentence, not telling the whole story. Do you get what I'm saying here? 
So the, the context is really, really important. So the, the sentence or the, the, the chapter book of the, of the church calendar year has got seven major themes. And I'm going to go through them before we talk about Lent. And I think it's, it's, it's worth doing. But let me just say this. I wrote some, down some things. Um, the broad strokes of the liturgical calendar. Um, over the centuries, the church has developed a strategy for telling her story through an annual cycle of seasons called the liturgical calendar or the church calendar. And like any good story, each time we go through it, we understand more deeply, absorb more profoundly, and become more inalienably part of the story. It absorbs us, we absorb it, right? And here's the thing about this story. Fundamentally, it's an epic love story. <laughs> like, if you, if, you, just if you want to know what this is, this is, um, this is an epic, epic love story. And it's the story of God's love for us, and the, and this we're going to get to, marital covenant that exists between Christ and his church. A fruitful union that bears new life for the sake of the world. Okay, I'm going to say this one more time. If you get nothing else out of what I'm going to say, this is, I think, worth it. The story, the, the epic love story that the church tells is a story of God's love for us and the marital covenant that exists between Christ and his church, a fruitful union that bears new life for the sake of the world. And this story has seven chapters, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and Ordinary Time. Each chapter has its own meaning, has its own drama, but they derive their de deepest meaning in relationship with the other chapters. It's a sentence that each word derives its meaning in relationship with the other words in the sentence. So I'm gonna go through each one really quickly to set the context, and then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about Lent. Is that right? are you with me? Okay. Uh, by the way, I, I'm by no means an expert on this. Um, this is fairly new to me, um, and I'm, I'm more like, this is what I'm discovering, and I really like it, so I just like, I'm just leaving a trail behind me. If you want to follow the pathway, there's breadcrumbs, and this is what I'm trying to do, but um, if you go into people that grew up with this tradition who've really thought it, like, there's so much to be said um, and understood. It's a very rich tradition. So Advent, if you consider this love story, Advent is the four weeks before Christmas, right? It's a time of preparation. Um, um, we consider our place in this story. Advent is really about us, huh? about us really understanding our place in this story, this marital union, this, this love story. And Advent is a time um, we, we think about who we are in relationship to God. And it's pretty, and the key figure <laughs> is Mary. Um, the key figure of Advent is Mary, right? And so, don't get wigged out again. We, you know, we really had problems with Mary growing up, um, you know, and, and, and it's so unfortunate. If, if, if I had my brothers, my hero, my biblical hero is not Paul, is not Peter, is not Moses, is not David, the great psalmist, the singer, it's Mary. Um, there, there, there's something about her, the humility of her and her response to the, to the invitation of God to be a, a maternal spouse <laughs> in the role of bringing life to the world. It's profound, it's profound. She's been called a prototypical Christian. She's the one that understood this and bore it in her body, right? And what has happened to Mary is on offer to every single one of us to receive the seed of God and to bear it forth for the sake of the world. It's a birthing story, it's a love story, it's a fruitful story. And this is who we are as human beings. This is the dignity of all human beings. We've been elevated to partner with God, receiving the seed and bearing that forward for, for the sake of the world. It's, it's, 
pretty amazing. And if you think about it for a second, the, the, the joy, like if you think about uh, what the church has to offer, if you think about a young couple, you, you celebrated two new children, right? Okay, so that's, this, these children are the fruit of that marital covenant, right, of that union, right? And you know what they have to do to bring joy to the world? Take the kid to a mall. That's all they have to do. Walk down the a mall. I remember when my kids were young, we'd walk down with our little kids and our little babies, and people go, oh, they're so... And just their being brought joy to people who were just out there to buy a shirt or something, who didn't come there for joy, did not come there to have their spirits lifted, but they see this beautiful, beautiful child. The gift of a fruitful union, and it moved them, and they'd come up, and they'd pinch their cheeks, and they'd ask you stories, and what's her name, what's his name... All that, right? So when you think about our relationship with God, with Christ, as bearing forth new life that brings joy to other people, it's a wonderful metaphor. Um, so that's Advent. Um, and so for, for a little bit of so Mary is the key figure, prototypical Christian, who receives and accepts God's proposal to this fruitful union. We come to understand the fundamental dignity of the human being who is chosen and elevated to the dignity of maternal spouse of God in bringing new life to the world. That's, that's a pretty significant season. And in there, there's all kinds of saints' days and feast days, and they all kind of interplay. But that's the key to it. Um, so then the next two seasons are Christmas and Epiphany, and they belong together. So if Advent is considering who we are in this relationship, then let's think about, well, who is this spouse that we're wed to, right? Who is it that, that, that we are this, having this, expecting this fruitful union with? And so we have Christmas and Epiphany, and they both speak about Christ and different aspects of Christ. So Christmas is the incarnation, right? So during Christmas, we consider the, uh, the astonishing humility and humanity of Christ in identifying with us in our lowly estate, right? This is the Alpha and the Omega, <laughs> who was born in dubious circumstances, you got to admit, the story is a little crazy and hard to, to, to talk about. Vulnerable, dependent, woundable, subject to suffering, displacement, subject to political machinations. Um, this, this is the one who is high above the fray, but for love of us, submits to all that vulnerability to be with us. And, and to, to, to sort of live with us in that, that uh, existence. So the themes of Christmas are birth, homelessness, refugee status, um, all these things, vulnerability. The one that we're married to, the one, the one who we're betrothed to and that we have this union, this covenant, is that one. The one who is so humble and so in love with us that he's willing to do that. Really, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so that's Christmas, the incarnation. So that celebrates the, 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 the humanity of Christ. Epiphany celebrates the divinity of Christ. Christ is not just a human, right? He's not just one of us, even though Christ is one of us. But Christ is also God, <laughs> right? And epiphany, do you know what the word epiphany means? It's this. Oh, <laughs> Aha! Epiphany is that, that, that thing that comes on, right? You know, um, and, and when, when we sort of understand that this one is also God, it's like a, it's Epiphany. And in Epiphany, which usually goes for a few weeks after Christmas, Christmas, by the way, is 12 days typically. 
Um, and there's reasons for that. You can read my book if you want. Epiphany um, is uh, several weeks to a month or so, depending on which church tradition you belong to. But really what it is, is it's celebrating the divinity of Christ, not just human, although very, very human. What does it say? Fully human, fully divine. Right? When we did that whole thing, right? So the divinity of Christ comes to us, and we celebrate and, and contemplate that. And in that, we have different feast days. We have the, the coming of the Magi on January 6th, that, you know, that, that the revelation to the non-chosen, that not only is this one humble, servant, vulnerable, but this one is coming for all, not just a couple of us, right? And reveals himself to these pagan princes who are the first to really really get to celebrate this, right? Like, what, that's an astonishing thing. For those of us that have grown up singing, I'm on the inside, which side are you? Na, 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 right? And in this season, Epiphany is like, hold on. <laughs> cut, that, cut that arrogance back a little bit because I didn't come for a few. I came for all. All. Research the word all in your New Testament and when that word comes up. My friend Malcolm Guide says, you can't get more inclusive than all. <laughs> There's nobody that, is, that, is, that Christ hasn't come for. So we see this in the wise men understood the divinity, the, the royalty of Christ, this child born in lowly circumstances. They see it. Another celebration we have in Epiphany is um, the, the wedding feast at Cana, right, where apparently this human one is lord over matter, Right? There's like, it's like water's wine, right? So this, is this the Alpha and the Omega? Is this the one who literally commands matter um, to be what, what God wants it to be? Is this that one, right? So we celebrate that. We also celebrate the baptism of Jesus um, in Epiphany. And that's when the dove comes down. The heavens split. The dove comes down. God the Father says, this is my boy, <laughs> And we see for the first time that this is no, no ordinary human being, that this is one with the Father and the Spirit, that God is not apparently a lowly, lonely monad deity, but is a communion, a society, a oneness of being. Right. So that's epiphany. That's the, oh. Because if that's true, then everything changes if we've been made in the image of God. right? And this becomes very political, not in the partisan sense, but in how we actually deal with one another, right? And how we treat one another. If we understand that, and we've been made into that image, I can't hold you in contempt. <laughs> I love you, right? So it's, it, it informs us that this story tells a story. Okay, so that's the epiphany. Um, uh, let's go on to Lent. Um, the Lent season, uh, which I'll talk a bit more about, is if we have a love story here, if this is what this whole thing is, telling this love story, Lent, every, love, every, every relationship goes bad eventually, it seems. Like these, these loving starts start to get complicated. You know, there's little infidelities. There's little woundedness. There's all kinds of things that start to break down a relationship. And if you don't watch it, these things can really kind of derail. We all know that in our own stories, in our own relationships, whether you're married or not. Um, and so for anybody that wants to take their relationship seriously, there's a bit of work to do, isn't there? <laughs> You know, um, that's, there's no shame in it. I mean, we're, we're frail, frightened people, you know. Uh, we're, we're woundable, um, and uh, we're wounding. Um, that's true. And there's no different there in our relationship with, with Christ. And so there comes a point in the year in this love story where we take time to really take stock of who we are and who our spouse is. Now, here's the good news. 
If Christ is 100% faithful, we can do the work of reconciliation because this will not be lost. Right? We can trust that if we do the hard work, this is going somewhere good. Right? You, there, when, when two people are deeply wounded and unfaithful and all that kind of stuff, this may work out, it may not. Right? But here's the good news of Lent, because Lent is seen as this dour season, and it's really not. It's a very, very profoundly hopeful season, right? Is that the one that we're doing our reconciliation work is faithful to the end, to the very, very end. That is a relationship you can invest in and trust that, that, that it's worth the work, right? Because nobody wants to do this inner work. It's just, we're, there's just too much ugliness to face, right? But if he's that faithful, we, we can trust it. We can go all the way, right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, out of Lent comes Holy Week at the end. Lent is roughly 40 days. Here's a little tidbit about Lent, by the way. If you actually count back from Easter Sunday to the beginning of Lent, you'll see that it isn't 40 days, um, that there's more days in there. But we see, still call it a 40-day season. That's because Saturdays and Sundays are not fast days. They're feast days. Saturdays are, and Sundays are incompatible with a fast. Saturday is the last day of creation. It's the rest celebration. Sunday is the dawning and the first day of the new creation. Right? Right? So the 40 days are the weekdays. Right? So that's why you count back and there's more. Right? But Saturdays and Sundays are always feast days in the church. Always, always, always. Um, okay. Then we get to Easter, and uh, we, have, we, have, we have walked through with Christ in this Lenten sort of thinking, and we've, we've watched our Lord, our spouse, our husband take the woundedness, the anger, the rage, the fallenness, to, to, absorbed it in his body and taken it right down onto the ground. Like, we've seen that. And when you get to Good Friday, it's destitute. It's done. Dead is dead is dead is dead. And then we have a full day to think about that, to absorb the loss that we contributed to. But then, on Easter morning, there's like a you see a spark, and all of a sudden, resurrection. Which is, how do I like to call it? Resurrection is sort of like the the big bang of the new creation. (laughs) It's the day that everything explodes, you know, and it just just starts to emanate through all of meaning and all. It just, it's, and this isn't, resurrection isn't rescue. Uh, resurrection isn't sort of saving a failed marriage. It's a completely rebirth of a new thing. It's recreation, recreation, recreation. It's not just stopping this thing before it goes off the rails. It's Christ going down over the rails, absorbing the death, and then resurrection. And we've been absorbed into Christ, and therefore Christ's resurrection, by the way, is our resurrection. <laughs> right? We're one. Right? Now, we have 50 days, I think, to think about that in Easter, and then we go to ordinary time. So if a, if a, if a, if a marriage has kind of gone through all this struggle, and then it goes to this miraculous um, rebirth, recreation, Right? Then you go to ordinary time. You, you, eventually, you've got to go back to you know, feeding the kids and, and paying the bills and all that kind of stuff. But suddenly, suddenly, nothing's ordinary. It should be called extraordinary time. 
because we're living from a very different reality, you know, once we absorb this and let it really affect us. So the last season, which is the longest season of the Christian calendar year, goes from the end of Easter right up to Advent again, is ordinary time. But it's extraordinary time. It's unbelievable time. But in that, there's more woundings and stuff, and so we start again at Advent, starting the whole thing over again. So in the end, the church calendar year is a marriage renewal strategy. <laughs> Like, if you ever go to a marriage treat retreat, um, basically, uh, I've, and I've, I've seen these, I've been to them before, uh, marriage retreats, you know, you, they, they kind of, they, they help you go through who you are, who your spouse is, what the expectations are, what's gotten in the way, blah, 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 and there are these, these ways of sort of coming to an agreement and restoration, and then you go home, like, in love again, right? Like, it's, it's, it's supposed to do that. Well, the church calendar year basically is an annual covenant renewal strategy, that's really quite powerful. So if you use that as the framework, now we can talk about Lent, right? Are you following me? Am I? Okay. So Okay, here we go. What time have I got? 11:30. Okay. So Lent, the season we're going into very, very soon, is um, fundamentally not a negative season. Um, and that's really unfortunate we think of it. It's a positive season. If we can trust that God is faithful, there's a good ending to this. It's worth the work, even if it's a bit dark, even if it's a bit hard to do. Um, it's fun to be, it's, it's, it's the hope for a relationship gone sour, right? But there is work to do. But let's consider the word itself. Lent means lengthen. It comes from the word lengthen, and it refers to the lengthening of days at the end of winter. It's the turn to spring. It's the beginning of the thaw. It's the beginning of the, of the end of the deep freeze that has come between us. It is starting to, the, the, the sun stays out a little bit longer, melts down the snow. Eventually, it thaws the, the good earth, the good soil, and the, the energies of the sun penetrate the soil and activate seeds, right? And this is all going towards spring. Lent means spring. Unfortunately, we have turned into this dour season of sort of like, oh, I got to give up something, <laughs> you know, and, and, and what it translates to is God is only happiest when we're miserable, um, as if that is true, um, and fasting and penance and all those things should not be considered negative things at all. You, you wouldn't do them if there wasn't hope for restoration. Why would you bother, right? I mean, the whole point is we trust this is going somewhere good. Hard work, but good work, right? So there's that. So fasting is a big, huge piece of Lent. Like when most people think, what does Lent mean? They think fasting, right? So why do you fast? If you think of it from a sort of just a health reason, there's all kinds of reasons, just for your body to rest uh, from the toxic things, <laughs> to let the toxicities pass through. There's just something very healthy about giving your body a break, Right? So fasting, medically and biologically speaking, actually is a healthy, good thing. It's not a negative thing. It's not dour. It doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy candy or whatever it is that you're fasting from. It's saying it's, it's probably healthy and wise if you take a fast from some of your more negative behaviors. <laughs> you know, let, you, let yourself heal a little bit. Let yourself pass the toxins, right? And um, in, in, in Lent, for us to simply pick something that we like... It always comes up, coffee or chocolate. Those seems to be the main ones, right? Like coffee or chocolate, well, I guess. You know, how about the internet? <laughs> how about things that are truly toxic? 
you know, um, not that they don't have some value. I'm not saying it doesn't, you know, but those things that rob you of peace on a regular basis. Um, how about um, partisan thinking? <laughs> I don't know. How about, I mean, all these things that creep in and rob us of peace and also keep us from fully attaching to our beloved, right? So in a marriage relationship or anything, any relationship, the minute you start giving yourself to toxicities without cleaning that out, what it does rob you of is your ability to relate to others, right? In comes anger, resentments, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Suspicion, <laughs> all those kinds of things. But to say, look, I'm, I'm going to take serious time in my life um, to consider my relationship with Christ. I'm gonna ha- I should probably give a rest to those things that rob me of that, that give me time, like just good time. So fasting is really, really good. It's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing. God is faithful. Um, and the faithfulness, now I'm going to give you a little detail about Lent because it's just kind of fun. At the beginning of Lent, or at the end of Epiphany, is St. Valentine's Day. Okay, now sometimes St. Valentine's lands in Lent by the first couple of days or a week or so before. This year was a week or so before because Easter changes and so Lent beginning changes. But at the borderland of, of, um, of, uh, of Lent is St. Valentine's Day. Now, just so you know, Valentine's Day is not a Hallmark card creation. <laughs> there was a guy, there was, there's a St. Valentine's, and he's very significant, and especially going to the season of Lent, right? So, uh, and here's the story. And of course, with history, it's really hard to know what really happened. You know, uh, people back in the day didn't, didn't treat it as a science. You just passed on stories, and so that's what we've got. But the story's worth it. It's a good story. And there's a story of this, uh, uh, and he is a historical figure, a bishop, uh, in um, uh, third century under Emperor Claudius, right? So Claudius was a pagan um, emperor, and Claudius um, knew Valentine. Claudius was not a Christian, but he liked Valentine. They had a, they had a good relationship. There was really no conflict. Uh, but Claudius had some border wars, and he needed all of his young men to fight. And in Roman sort of... Uh, polity, if you get married, you're allowed a year exemption from the military, right? And so Claudius said, he, 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 um, he, he, he puts out this edict that until we get these border wars settled, nobody's allowed to get married, right? Wasn't against marriage, was not against love, I just need my guys at the front, right? And so when all this is settled, you can go back, right? Valentine says, I'm a priest of the most high God. I bless covenant love. That's what I do. Right? I bless covenant love. So he continued marrying young people. So Claudius sent um, Valentine an email and said, you, you, you probably missed the notice, you know, and I understand, you know, because there's so much information out there that you just probably didn't see that post. Um, I'm just reminding you that I've asked, you know, to stop marriages, and, and, and Claudius goes, uh, I'm, a, I'm a priest of the most high God. I bless covenant love. That's what I do. Right? So he keeps on marrying people. As so then Claudius, he brings in Valentine into the court and says, explain yourself. And Claudius does exactly that. He says, I'm sorry, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my vocation. I will continue. And Claudius explains, you can later. You can go back to it. I don't care, not for now. And Claudius says, I, I must. I must still. Um, and so the result was that, Claud- that uh, Claudius had him executed. Um, and so Valentine died for love. 
right? So that's at the beginning of Lent. Now, put those glasses on and look right through Lent to Good Friday, right? This is what this is about. This is about the one who loves us, that our beloved who dies for love, who takes all of that, who refuses not to bless, who refuses not to redeem and restore. He just does it, does it, does it to the very, very end. It's a wonderful, wonderful season. But we do have work to do. Um, we have been the unfaithful ones in this relationship. And God will be faithful to the end, but for us to really fully participate in this relationship, we need to do our own work. And so there is fasting, there's confessing, there's thinking about the ways that we have given ourselves to ideologies, to practices, behaviors that, 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 um, that rob us of our ability. So we need time out. <laughs> you know, a kid that gets, gets out of control needs time out. Right? You put them on the stairs or whatever, think about what you've done. It's, a, it's an okay thing to do. Um, confession, um, once we think those things through, conf- the, the, the whole act of confessing, like we don't confess because God doesn't know what we've done. That's ridiculous. Like, why do you confess to God? Why would you bother? God knows, right? Well, I'll tell you a little story. <laughs> I remember lying to my dad when I was a younger man. And it robbed me of my ability to be in a relationship with my dad. It's a longer story. We don't have time for it right now. But when I finally confessed to my dad, when I heard myself say, this is what I have done, it gave my dad the opportunity to say two things. I knew already. <laughs> By the way, you haven't, you haven't informed me about anything. And two, gosh, I love you. <laughs> right? Until I confessed, I couldn't have heard that. Because if my dad said to me, before I confessed, I love you, Steve, I would have said, if you knew, you wouldn't. If I told you the truth, you wouldn't love me. Right? You'd think differently. We confess not because God doesn't have access to that part of our lives. It's we who have to name it. And with our ears, we have to hear, yeah, I do that. (laughs) Sure love you. This is what Lent is about, really, in a sense, is owning our infidelities so that we can hear the the, the knowing, loving work of Christ. (laughs) It's a very, very important season for us. And then penance is a discipline of reconciliation. Um, I'm going to read you. Now, penance is, uh, again, a key theme of of Lent. It's... Penance doesn't really fix our wrongdoings. <laughs> um, but it's a discipline of, of changing behaviors to form us back or to reform us back, right? So to fast, to say, I'm not going to do this, 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 and not replace like, these bad things and not replace it with good things is half, kind of the half the thing, right? So I'm going to, I should have had this out. Advent, Easter, Holy Week, Lent, Okay. There's a, I found this online. To only say no to things is to put a negative spin on everything, (laughs) right? So fasting alone is really not the best thing. But listen to this. Fast from judging others. Feast on Christ dwelling in them. Fast from apparent darkness. Feast on light. Fast from pessimism. 
feast on optimism. You can make up your own list, but I'll just go because it's a good one. Fast from thoughts of illness. Feast on the healing power of God. Fast from words that pollute. Feast on phrases that purify. Fast from anger. Feast on patience. Fast from worry. Feast on unceasing prayer. Fast from complaining. Feast on appreciation. Fast from hostility. Feast on non-resistance. Fast from bitterness. Feast on forgiveness. Fast from anxiety. Feast on hope. Fast from yourself. <laughs> Feast on a silent heart. If you look at the Lent season, five days of fasting, but Saturdays and Sundays are incompatible. It's fasting and feasting, right? You do both, right? What is it that's robbing me of purity and um, peace and shalom and offering myself wholly to my beloved spouse? Fast from that. But who is this beloved spouse in the end? Well, we know this. We know this is the one who's humble, who, who uh, uh, cooperates with our, our, our vulnerabilities, who, who is vulnerable himself, all these things. So for us now to put ourselves in a, in a way that, that says, if that's who he is, I, I too, I too, right? And to think about the qualities of our spouse, who this one is really, and saying maybe there's something for us in that. What was Christ's teachings on the poor, on enemies, on our relationship to money and wealth and possessions? What, was, what are these things? This is who he is. This is, he's teaching us something here. So we, these can be indicators of what we're going to feast on, right? In this day and age, this chaotic day and age right now, what are you going to fast from? What are you going to feast on, right? Um, this, this, this marriage is really worth saving, <laughs> And um, if anything breaks my heart these days, and I know it's not true, but the feeling is, can the church survive this? Do we have the virtue? Do we have the capacity? Well, we need a better story than we've been telling ourselves. We need a good story that walks us through all the things that we need to be about so that we can participate with Christ as maternal spouse bringing good news to the world. It's a really, really wonderful story. And we need to be saying, tell it again. <laughs> tell it again. Tell it again. It's a really wonderful strategy for marriage renewal, for covenant renewal, right, in our relationship with God. This is a powerful, powerful tradition that the church over centuries has developed. I just think it's worth paying attention to. <laughs> I think there's something for us in it. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, boy, what should I do here? I'm going to sing you this. You got time for two songs if I don't talk too much? Okay. Okay. Okay, this brings... A f a f okay, there's two songs here. And they belong to each other. They're sort of like a, a, a diptych. You know paintings that there's two panels... Um, so this is like, th th this songs belong together. The first one is called A Big Mistake, <laughs> and the second one is called Lenten Lens. And it, um, 
One of the, the key uh, things that we, we talk about during the season of Lent is um, uh, the story of, um, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The, the one that was asked to marry the unfaithful woman. Um, who? Hosea, yes, yes. That's a Lent story. That's a Lent story about this one who is faithful to the end to the one who's not faithful, right? So this is this whole story here. And if you look at the story of, um, of the Exodus, if you go back to the story of, 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 of God bringing a, a, an unfaithful people out of Egypt, it's fascinating. And so we're going to talk about this very, very quickly. I promise not to take too long. But you have this story of Israel, the bride, in a sense, being involved in this very, very um, toxic relationship with Egypt, right? And she's the abused one, really, in a sense. And her lover comes out from the desert and says, come away with me. I can imagine a whole new life, right? And she does in this story. She goes out to the desert, you know, with, with, with her spouse, in a sense. I mean, I'm, I'm using this all metaphorically, but it gets very uncomfortable with freedom, which is really, really interesting. As a kid, I never believed this. I had a hard time believing the story. Like, why, if God delivered you from a despotic king, why would you go back but then my father became a prison chaplain. And I saw over and over and over again inmates that had been so institutionalized by imprisonment that when they get out, they can't handle freedom after many, many years and often would commit crimes just to get back in. It was clear this happened over and over and over again. And it's not because they loved jail, it's because freedom terrified them. right? And so you have this story of this sort of abusive relationship and this young man coming and calling to the woman and saying, come out with me, come out with me. And she does, she trusts him, but she gets out there and she, the freedom is just too much and she just keeps on wanting to kind of go back um, uh, to, the, to the, what the devil she knows in a sense. It actually makes sense. Yeah, humans do this all the time. And the faithfulness of this one. So I'm going to sing you two songs in closing. One is this story from her perspective and the second one is a story from his perspective. Got it? Okay. It was the night that brought me freedom on the night you came for me. In the darkness you had kindled my desire. And your light pierced me through drew me to you I mistook you for a pillar made of fire and when we started in the morning I was ready for the day I loved you and I sang for you out loud but as time passed I learned how the desert sands burned and I mistook you for a pillar made of cloud And you mistook me for the faithful And you mistook me for the true And you mistook me for the lover Who would give her best to you But you hurt me with your freedom And it's a burden I can't bear And it's all been a big Then we came back to the mountain where our love had burned before. I remember how it felt like holy ground. 
When you drew me to those heights With your darkness and your lights And I mistook you for the thunder all around And when my springs had turned all bitter Then your love made them sweet You were like a hidden river in the grass But I sought my own will And it poisons me still I mistook you for the serpent made of brass And you mistook me for the worthy You mistook me for the free And you mistook me for the lover That you wanted me to be But I'm leaving your fold On a calf made of gold Cause it's all been a big mistake Yes, it's all been a big mistake Yes, it's all been a big mistake Now hold that to spring. The word Lent. This is called Lenten Lens, and this is the voice of the other character in that story. My love has gone away in Lenten Lens, gone far away and clean forsaken me. And will she perish in those desert sands? In her youth She clung to me When we were on the run But she tires of freedom now She tires of truth And seeks for something new Under the sun The time of year has come When all things turn The sun returns to warm The bitter earth The land revives The plants and seedlings yearn their rich beginnings and their birth and will she turn or will she turn again I hold my arms out wide upon the tree and will she see me yearn to her through pain and turn again and turn again to me the time of year has come when all the sun returns to warm the wintry earth The land revives the plants and seedlings Yearn towards their rich beginnings and their birth The grapes are, the grapes are swelling on the fruitful vine The figs are ripe and low upon the bough 
I break the bread for her and pour the wine and all I am is turned towards her now the grapes sorry are swelling on the fruitful vine the figs are ripe and low upon the bough I break the bread for her and pour the wine and all Turn towards her now. Now. Lent is not a dour season. <laughs> Thank you. Let me just finish. I'll read you a prayer. Um, this is not my prayer. This one I pray often. Um, this is by Father Carlo Arico. I have no idea who he is. I mean, but it's, it's a good prayer. <laughs> Considering all that we have um, talked about right now, brothers and sisters, I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And in closing your eyes, I invite you to consent to God's presence and action in our lives. In the spirit of the Virgin Mary, we pray, let it be done to us according to your word. In the spirit of Jesus, praying to his dad in the garden, we pray, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And so... We take our God for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, into eternity. And we truly believe that our God takes each one of us moment by moment by name for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, into eternity. Let us never underestimate the power of this marital covenant that exists between us and our God, initiated by our God. And our task in life is to respond to it, moment by moment by moment by moment. And remember that God doesn't love us because we are good. God loves us because God is good. And our whole life is responding to God's love for us, moment by moment by moment. And we pray this prayer in the only way we truly can, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful time of honoring Christ together this morning. Steve, thank you for sharing your heart with us. Uh, you are a friend of, uh, of this church family, and uh, we are blessed to have you here today. Thank you. Everyone, let's, let's close in prayer together.
Father, you have richly blessed us this morning. I thank you for meeting us here. I thank you for what you have shown us. And we anticipate this journey that you are leading us on into this season of Lent as we release some of our hold on those things that separate us from peace and separate us from connection, as we confess and as we anticipate and as we move towards celebration. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us. I pray that you would use this in our growth in Christ. I pray that you would use this in our healing and I pray that you would use this as it spills over to the world around us that others may know you and be healed too. And we thank you for Steve. I pray that you would, you would bless him especially today. We thank you for the gifts you've given him. We thank you for the voice you've given him to speak into the world around him as salt and light, including encouraging us today. I pray that you'd bless him and Nancy and their family in all ways as, as they serve you together. I pray that you would bless them with much joy. And I pray that you bless us as we go from here into our week. May you be honored in how we live and how we love and in what we say and do. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.